0: Well, thank you, Bryce, and the staff for your gracious invitation. I don't know if we're going to make this an annual tradition where I close out the year by preaching for you, but I'm, I'm so glad to be back here and, and to see many new faces. Um, as, as Bryce mentioned, our church is a few years ahead of you guys, and um, I'm so thankful for what God is doing Through your church and seeing the baptisms here watching the video is just a reminder of how God is gathering people unto himself all across the world people who realize that they need a savior who realize that they can't do life on their own and so just to see how God is working is so heartwarming uh to me and so I'm I'm thankful to be here well I've got a confession to make Back when I was in high school, in the early 90s, uh, my musical taste was quite unique from the rest of my friends. Uh, While my friends would listen to Tupac and Biggie, or uh, listen to Green Day or REM, uh, I would listen to love songs on the coast. (laughs) Uh, If you're not familiar, It's, you know, 70s, 80s, love music, Chicago, Peter Cetera. That's what I would listen to at night. And I I know I may lose my man card by (laughs) saying this out loud. I don't know if you record these or not. Uh, But I I was quite sappy back then. And not surprisingly, I also enjoy a good old romantic comedy. Just a couple months ago, my wife and I cozied up in bed and saw a rerun of You've Got Mail. Um, earlier, Earlier this year on the airplane I saw Slumdog Millionaire, another great love story. And so what is it about these songs and these movies that are so endearing to us? Why are the most enduring stories tend to center on romantic love? I believe it's because these stories tap into a longing of our hearts. A longing to find someone to love who will love us as much as we love them. There's this innate longing, yearning, to find someone to love who loves us in return. I'll never forget when my daughter was three years old, she's 15 now, and we were walking through some five-star hotel lobby. And her chubby little fingers were wrapped around mine and we're walking down the lobby and she just stopped, yanked at my arm, and looked up at me and said, Daddy, I want to get married here when I grow up. <laughs> my breath you know, gave way as this three-year-old was already planning her wedding. Well, if, you're, if you like romances, then you're going to love this episode of the Bible. It's, in my opinion, the most romantic passage found in all of Scripture. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis 29, or you can double-tap, swipe, whatever version you prefer. Genesis 29, verses 1 through 20. The reading is a little lengthy, so you're going to have to bear with me, Uh, but it's good for us to read it in its entirety. Genesis 29, 1 through 20. This is the reading of God's Word. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? And they said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well, and see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her.
1: I'm going to divide my
0: sermon into three parts. We're going to first take an up-close look at our passage. And then from there, we're going to gradually zoom out and look at our passage from a larger perspective. And so let's begin with a close-up view of the passage. Since you're probably unfamiliar with what's going on here, Uh, we find Jacob at probably the lowest point of his life where he's hit rock bottom. Though Jacob grew up with a lot of wealth and the comforts of luxury, he now finds himself penniless more than 500 miles away from home, with nothing but the shirt on his back. What happened? Well, his parents sent him away for two reasons. First, to escape the murderous wrath of his twin brother, whose blessing he stole. And second, his parents send him to Haran with the hopes that he might get married and find a wife. I don't know how long it took for him to travel 500 miles, but I think it's safe to assume that it's been many weeks since he slept in a bed and seen a friendly face. Well, in our passage, his fortunes turn. He comes across some shepherds who are waiting at a well. And so he asks them, where are you guys from? And they say, Haran which brings joy to his ears that was the one city he was hoping to find he then asked them do you know my uncle Laban to which they say yes and look behold his daughter Rachel is coming here with some sheep at this point you can cue the music in the background because Jacob is about to meet the love of his life one look at Rachel and he is smitten verse 17 tells us that Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance which is another way of saying she had a beautiful face and a really nice body (laughs) not only that Rachel's also a shepherdess she's not some stuck-up entitled princess who never lifts a finger She's a hard-working girl who knows how to take care of herself and her family. She is the total package. Every man's dream girl. The blisters on his feet no longer bothered him. The sunburn on his face no longer stung. The 500 miles to get there, totally worth it. Without even thinking, Jacob demonstrates his brawn and chivalry, takes the large stone that covers the mouth of a well and lifts it all by himself. He then proceeds to do two things. Verse 11 tells us that he kisses Rachel, which was customary back then. And then he does something not so customary. He begins to weep, probably tears of joy and relief. And so to the young boys out here, uh, I recommend that you don't follow suit with Jacob. If you're trying to win someone's heart, you may not want, as your first expression, to kiss them and then to cry like a baby. It's not going to work. Rachel then brings Jacob home and introduces him to her father, Laban. Laban takes him in and soon negotiates with jacob jacob i could use a good shepherd around here what are your wages and jacob responds i'll work for free the only thing i want is after seven years of working for you give your daughter rachel to me in marriage they shake hands and it's a deal Uh, and then in perhaps the most romantic verse Of all the Bible verse 20 it reads so Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her when I shared this at my congregation I saw many rib jabs wives going like this right look at Jacob seven years were like a few days and you can't even take out the trash right (laughs) So that's what we see when we take a close-up look at Genesis 29. We have a biblical example of love at first sight. We have a match made in heaven. But is that all this story is good for? To show us that there's something like true love that actually exists? At this point, I want us to take a step back and zoom out a little And look at Genesis 29 in light of the rest of the book of Genesis. If you do, something's going to jump out at you. Because you see, Jacob's encounter with Rachel sounds strangely familiar. It looks a lot like Genesis 24. You see, back in Genesis 24, Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, sends out his most trusted servant on a quest what to find a wife for his son isaac and so he sends out his most trusted servant and goes forth and says find a wife for my son isaac which is jacob's dad and so the servant travels far from home and guess what he finds himself at a well And at this well, the servant prays, God, grant me success today. Help me to find a wife for Isaac. Let the one who offers me and my camels water be the one whom you've called to marry Isaac. Then a bunch of girls stop by the well. But only one, Rebecca, offers the servant and his camels water. Immediately the servant sees her as the one the one who answered his prayer he inquires of her identity and rebecca tells him that she is the sister of laban yes the same laban who's the father of rachel the servant is then brought home to laban where he explains his mission to find a wife after some negotiations laban and rebecca's father agree to the marriage proposal As you can see, when you take a step back, you'll see two stories of love that mirror each other. Genesis 24 and 29 are very similar. Isaac finds his wife, Rebekah. Jacob finds his wife, Rachel. Rebekah is Laban's brother. Rachel is Laban's daughter. The parallels cannot be ignored. And I believe God set this up on purpose so that we might compare the two scenes together. And when you compare the two scenes, a couple lessons emerge about love. First, in both chapters, the suitors are drawn to beauty. In Genesis 24, what makes Rebecca attractive is her inner beauty. Her character, her thoughtfulness, her generous spirit. None of the other girls offered this servant water. She alone did, and that's what catches the servant's eye. In Genesis 29, what makes Rachel attractive is her physical beauty. She was beautiful in form and appearance. Her beauty is accentuated by the fact that the narrator ta- tells us that Rachel had an older sister, Leah, who was not so beautiful. And so we're not surprised by the very not next phrase, and Jacob loved Rachel. I'm reminded of a conversation I had with my son, who back then was, I think, around six years old, and we're at the dinner table, and it was just me and him. And I asked him, Seth, uh, what kind of girl do you want to marry? And he kind of looked at me like, why are you asking me this? Right? I'm only 6 years old. He's like, I don't know, dad. And I'm like, well, if you could list 3 characteristics of the type of girl you want to marry, what would they be? And so he thought to himself and he said, she has to be pretty. That's all. <laughs> and I just started laughing. As you can see, guys haven't changed much over the centuries. And so both Genesis 24 and 29 reveal to us how we are attracted to beauty, external, internal beauty. But another, another lesson also emerges when you compare the two scenes together. In addition to the importance of beauty, you also see that a woman's hand in marriage must be earned, a great price. Must be paid. The greater the woman, the greater the price. In chapter 24, Abraham sends his servant out with an entourage of wealth. He goes out with ten camels, gold rings, bracelets, coins, an extravagant show of wealth. Why? Because back then, a wedding was arranged only after a dowry was paid. Laban and his family wasn't going to give Rebekah away for free. A price had to be paid. And so only after they negotiate, only after the servant offers up all the camels, the rings, the bracelets, the gold coins, do they then agree to the marriage. That's how it worked back then. In chapter 29, things are a little bit different, aren't they? Jacob is penniless. He doesn't have any wealth. But this explains why Jacob agrees to work for seven years his years of work served as his dowry for Rachel's hand in marriage and according to research seven years of wages was an exorbitant amount to the average dowry why because Rachel wasn't an ordinary type of girl she was extraordinary in her beauty today We may not offer dowries, but we have something similar, don't we? It's the engagement ring, right? Guys are expected to save up, what, three, six months of salary in order to show their fiancé, show their girlfriend how committed they are to her. It's an expression of their deep love and commitment to their future brides. And so... In both passages, we see that what makes a woman attractive is her beauty, inner, outer beauty. In both passages, we see a great price being paid to secure her hand in marriage. Well, let's zoom out a little bit more. It sets us up for the third and final vantage point. When you zoom out, you'll discover that this love encounter at the well has yet another echo. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. It reads, So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, Near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Do you see the parallels? Jesus, like Jacob, is far from home, Jesus, like Jacob, is in foreign territory jesus like jacob finds himself at midday and it's not just any well that he finds himself does is he he is at a well known as jacob's well and so at this point any good jewish student would start seeing the connections and start asking themselves is jesus gonna meet a girl just like isaac finds rebecca Jacob finds Rachel. Is he going to meet his Rachel? And I can imagine all the angels in heaven peering down now, wondering who is Jesus going to pick? Because I think we could all agree that Jesus is the most eligible bachelor to ever walk this earth. He could choose and find anyone as his wife. Who will he give the final rose to? Well, John 4 continues. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Jesus' choice of a bride shocks us. It stuns the disciples who come later on saying, what are you doing talking to her? It even stuns the Samaritan woman herself. What are you doing talking to me? Of all the women Jesus could have chosen, he chooses a Samaritan, a non-Jew. And if that weren't scandalous enough, he chooses a woman who is sexually broken, immoral. A woman who's been married five different times, and is currently sleeping with a man who is not her husband. Parents, how would you react if your son or daughter came home with someone who's been married five times? We wouldn't even entertain the thought of allowing them to get married. Why? Because in our minds, we're thinking there must be something wrong for this person to be married five times. This explains why this woman comes to the well at high noon when it's the hottest in the day. Why? Because no one goes to the well when it's that hot. But she goes when it's that hot. Why? Because she's tired of all the stares, the whispers, the rumors. Look at her. Kids, stay away from her. She was tired of the judgment, of the shame, and so she goes at noon. Jesus, however, is different. Rebecca was chosen for her inner beauty. Rachel was chosen for her outer beauty. The Samaritan woman is chosen for her. We don't know. Right off the bat, I wonder if God aligned all these encounters so that we might learn that his economy of love is different from our own. His standard of beauty, his definition of attractiveness is different from our own because Jesus pursues the most detested, despised, discarded woman out there. The woman's brokenness the, one, the woman's sinfulness act as a perfume to Jesus. It draws him. Jesus is unlike any other, for he comes not to reward the righteous, but to rescue the wretches. For Jesus' love is not about what you gain, it's about what you give love is not self-centered it's other centered perhaps jesus chooses her not because of what she can offer him but he chooses her because of what he can offer her living water he loves her not because she is lovable but he loves her simply because he is loving and here we find the essence of the gospel that what makes us attractive to God is our brokenness and our neediness. This is why a broken and contrite spirit is an acceptable, pleasing offering to him. Our God is a God who draws near to those who get that they are depraved and broken inside, who realize that their only hope is in the gracious, gracious arms of our Savior. And yet what makes Jesus' love all the more extraordinary is not only the type of bride he pursues, but the price he was willing to pay for her. It took gold rings, bracelets, and coins to secure Rebecca. It took seven years of labor to win Rachel's hand. How about this Samaritan woman? what would it take well the price would prove to be even more costly why because jesus wanted more than just an earthly marriage with her he wanted an eternal marriage a marriage that does not end with death but a marriage that ripples down through eternity And for that to happen, an even greater price had to be paid. An eternal price had to be paid. Nothing less than the blood of God would have to be shed. The sacrifice of God's own Son, where Jesus would have to be stretched out on a cross and suspended in midair, where he would bear the wrath of God for the Samaritan woman's lewdness, unfaithfulness, and sinfulness. You see, for Jesus to wed this woman, he had to first clean her. He had to clean her with his blood and pay the ultimate price. And just like Jacob, Jesus would pay this price gladly. Just as much as the seven years that Jacob labored for Rachel seemed but a few days. Hebrews 12.2 declares that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. Behold the love of our God. As you can see, the ultimate purpose of Genesis 29 is not to show us how great Jacob's love is for Rachel. Rachel. But the ultimate purpose is to show us how great God's love is for us. True love does exist. And this morning, if you feel particularly unlovable, if you feel far from God, even if you feel dirty and unworthy, then know this, your brokenness actually makes you attractive to God. It makes you eligible to receive his grace. God is wanting and longing and hoping to let you know that you belong to him and he belongs to you in Jesus Christ. In Christianity, the way up is down. The less we hold on to ourselves, the more we find our worth in Christ. The less we boast in ourselves, the more we will boast in him. This is why I love the gospel and I love to share it because we don't hear anything like this from this world. He gives us wretches hope. And so whether you are happily married or unhappily married, whether you're happily single or unhappily single, know that there is one who pursues you and finds you lovely, who stopped at nothing to make you his bride, who paid the ultimate price. And he is really all that we need. And may we take that in, into our jackets, our coat pockets, into the new year, knowing that we have everything we could want or imagine in God's Son. Let's pray together. Father, little did we realize that that deep yearning and longing that we all have to love and be loved, that yearning has been satisfied at the cross of Jesus Christ. We have that and more in you. And we thank you O lover of our souls, for coming down to this world to pursue us, to attain us, and lay your life down for us. We ask, O Lord, that instead of looking to this world, looking to people in this world, to give us only what you can satisfy, we would find our cups overflowing with you. We thank you, O God for this wonderful blessing. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.